and welcome to the Forbes India Cover Story podcast series in association with theindicast.com. This issue's cover is a comprehensive package on the government's recent landmark decision to allow for more players in the banking sector. We'll hear more about it from two gentlemen who are there on the call with me. My name is Abhishek and joining me is the senior editor Dinesh Narayanan from Delhi and the editor-in-chief for the first time R. Jagannathan or Jaggi as he's known. Good evening both of you. Good evening. Good evening, Abhishek. Hi, good evening. It's, it's, it's pouring in Mumbai as we speak. And uh, without further ado, Jaggi, let me start with you. How do you think is the last month's announcement from the Reserve Bank of India, that is to invite new players in the sector, it's one of a kind. It doesn't happen every day. How big an announcement was it? Well, the Reserve Bank was never uh, very enthusiastic about allowing too many new players. We feel it already has enough on its plate. But the pressure has been coming from the finance ministry to uh, issue new licenses, especially there's been a lot of pressure from corporates to get into banking. And that's the reason that drove it. But I think the Reserve Bank also set up a lot of rules which make it fairly difficult for most people to get a look in. But of course, that remains to be seen because the current tenure of the Reserve Bank chairman, Mr. Subarao, ends in the next two months. So he probably is not the one who will decide on the licenses. Right. And in the past few months, the RBI has been a little more enterprising than usual, if I could venture that, because we recently had an announcement of inflation-indexed bonds that were issued for the first time in a decade, and a lot of speculation of how the inflation was yo-yoing, and now it's normal, and the interest rates might be fiddled around with. So the RBI has been in the news. Dinesh, to help our listeners about a brief of the cover story, how did you come about it, and what's it about? Uh, no, the brief was pretty clear from the moment RBI announced that these are the 26 players who have applied for uh, banking licenses. Now, if you look at the number of players and the spectrum, you see that from some of the top industrialists, which includes all the three big groups in India, which is the Tata's, Birla's and the Ambani, one of the Ambani groups, and two even relatively unknown entities like Vinod Jain is one person who has applied, he's a chartered accountant, he's applied for, uh, uh, and in between there are a host of NDFCs, which some of them are quasi-government, some of them are purely in the private sector. There are a whole host of players and some of them have very different characteristics. Some of them are very focused on certain kinds of lending like IDFC in infrastructure or LIC housing finance and finance, housing finance. So it obviously was a story waiting to be done. And it was a policy announcement which came after nearly 10 years. The last time bank licenses were given out was in 2003-2004 when Kotak Mahindra and Yes Bank were given licenses. And what did you find out? When we talk about industries, we know FMCG, telecoms, and all of these industries are talked about because of the intense competition there and market share and bloodbath and price competition. These are the words which are normally thrown when, when you describe these industries. So how is banking industry in, in India? Banking, it doesn't matter whether it's in India or elsewhere in the world. It's one industry where money begets money. It gets more money than probably any other business. It is a risky business, yes, but with reasonable care, you can be sure that you will make money in practically any kind of economy. Even in economies which don't grow, banks grow reasonably well. Even the tendency of policymakers, if you have seen the US and Europe as well, is that to protect them rather than let them go down. Unlike a, a car maker or a component maker whom you can let them fold up and you'll have a few employees to take care of, but it banks cause systemic instability. So there is always sort of a inherent protection to banks, especially if they are big, in any economic system. 
it's not just in uh, india it's everywhere in other markets the rules are getting even tighter actually true and what explains india's banking sector's in a spectacular success you know more than what the banking business offers which guarantees money and uh, what is so attractive about the banking business i would slightly take a different tack and probably look at why rbi wants new licenses right now or what they see as a compelling reason why there should be more banks is simply that India largely is an underbanked country. There is a large part of India where people do not have bank accounts, they don't have basic financial services available to them. So there the government wants the reach of the banks to extend to those nooks and corners and people who are currently don't come into the organized financial system of the country. It has two advantages. One, people obviously will benefit from it because they get access to credit, they get access to other financial instruments like savings instruments, like mutual funds, insurance, all these things. The other advantage is that right now policy doesn't percolate down to the least common factors in, in this economy. One of the reasons is that the policy measures don't go through the banking system to the bottommost level. How do you mean that? For, for example, so for example, if RBI cuts interest rates, it is expected that the banks will follow, and then that means that the borrowers from the banks will get cheaper loans, and that's how the entire one policy decision of cutting interest rates percolates down the economic system. But then, after a while, there is a large number of people who are not part of the system, so the interest rate doesn't affect them at all. They are part of a cash economy, where whether the banks cut interest rates or not doesn't really matter. So that's a policy imperative. Plus, of course, data. The government will have more data on people. It will have more access to what the country looks like financially to the last person. So these are some of the benefits that the government or RBI might have from a policy perspective. Yes. What is there in it for the banks, uh, Jaggi? Would you want to take that? Is it a yeah. mouth-watering proposition, or is it because everybody were queued in on that day when they opened the dams there? For as far as banks are concerned, the opportunity is very simple. If the country keeps growing, let's say even at an average rate of six to seven percent, banks grow in money terms at twice that level at least, which means there is a fifteen percent assured top-line growth. So the broad potential is a play on the economy. So if you are betting that the economy is going to grow. Whether or five percent or eight percent might be a matter of, and uh, in, in any particular year it may change. But overall, if you expect an average of around six to seven percent, banking will grow at fifteen percent in money terms. So on fifteen percent, very few industries give you consistent fifteen percent growth over ten and twenty year periods. Huh? So if you get your execution right, if you get your policies right, and you make sure that your assets go to the right people, and you don't have too many bad loans and other things, then this is like a straight annuity income if you can execute your plan well. So in that sense, there is always a potential in banks. And as Dinesh said, we are highly underbanked. So this is the secret of uh, most of the successful banks that they have been able to encash this annuity income. and uh, their shares grow because of that that's the key potential of course you can always screw up and that can happen because uh, i think if you fail to scale up or if you got into the wrong places you lent in the wrong places and uh, your uh, checks and balances are not proper then of course you can uh, go down and so in which case of course you have the advantage of the safety net since no bank is actually allowed to fail it means that you exit and the bank goes into somebody else's hands which is what happened out of the 11 or 10 or 12 people that got licenses about only 6 or 7 are left the other 6 have got absorbed merged taken over closed down all those things have happened but depositors are not lost money so there is a fail safe system in banking which people are counting on
That's an interesting point. You know, banks are not allowed to fail. That's quite a phrase. On the flip side, what are some of the regulatory risks that might come with this, considering that you are opening up to new players now? Suppose if somebody were to start a bank today, the economy is not doing well. If you want to collect deposits, you'll have to collect deposits at, say, close to 7-8% as a new bank or probably even more. I mean, to your new depositors, you'll have to pay that kind of interest rate. On top of it, you have a very high CRR SLR requirement, which are reserve requirements, which takes away about 27 rupees out of every 100 rupees you have to lend. So you are left with about 73 rupees. On top of it, for some kind of loans, you have to also maintain a certain kind of provisional reserve, which is as a caution you have to keep aside. That means that for every 100, the amount of money you are left with to lend is quite less. Add to that the operation cost of the bank. You are a new bank. You will obviously have a lot of marketing expenses. You will obviously have a lot of branding expenses. You will have a lot of brick and mortar expenses if you are absolutely starting from scratch. You will have a lot of investments in technology, which all these things will have to be amortized and so on. So the cost of setting up a bank and then amortizing all these things and plus this cost of money which a bank has, and you are borrowing at 7-8%, which means that you will be lending to people at a much higher cost. So the loans for borrowers will be at a very high cost. Now, obviously, there are a lot of people in this country who would pay a lot of money just to have access to some kind of credit. And a lot of these banks are thinking of tapping into these niches and establishing themselves as players. And India being a huge country, these niches are also fairly large. It's not as if, you know, a few thousand people or a few lakh people. They are pretty large niches. So there is a clear business proposition there. And because the cost of technology has come down considerably over the years, these guys start with an advantage on technological part because they will have cutting edge technology, which is more safe compared to it was 10, 15 years ago. But the question you asked about regulatory risk, this is a sector which is very tightly regulated by the RBI. And because the economy is going through a very uh, slow phase, probably working on stagflation, there are all kinds of instruments which the RBI is going to use, monetary policy instruments which the RBI is going to use to manage uh, liquidity, to manage inflation, to manage the exchange rate. These are all going to affect you as a bank in some way or other. So these risks are going to be compounded for a new bank, which has got high operations cost, high cost of collecting deposits, and having to lend at a very high rate. Right. And last couple of questions. What does this mean to the common man or to the consumer? And I quote one of your interesting statistics is that out of the 833 million in rural areas, only 344 million have bank accounts. So obviously more banks and hopefully if their intention is to be going to these places too, that would mean more bank accounts and will help them. But will it mean better interest rates or better innovative products that the common man can use? Or is it just a commodity, the banking sector, because it's driven by interest rates, etc. And that is it. No, no, no. The entry of more banks automatically means more choice. So in the sense that you have now better banks, banks may come closer to you. But the thing is, you will, of course, tend to get more interest rates at the margin because though at the top level, all banks seem to produce the same kind of interest rates, at the bottom savings rate, there is quite a wide variation from the base rate of about 4% to going up to even 7%. If you see some of the newer banks like, say, Yes Bank and Quota tend to offer 6 and 7%. So that's because they have fewer what is called CASA deposits, that is uh, current account savings accounts, which are cheap deposits. So in order to get more of these kind of deposits, they tend to give slightly higher rates. So that will certainly be there. But that said, I must say that banks tend to be sticky. You know, you can't just change your bank like the way you change your Kirana Wala. 
meaning once you have an account and all your trading account your this thing account that i mean at least in an urban center you will and even in a rural center even more so there might be just one branch in your village so you cannot change anything so your choice is limited by what is available in your neighborhood and the fact that changing everything means doing this kyc that kyc all kinds of things there is a certain stickiness to bank accounts unless they are abominable tend to retain most of their customers unlike number portability in mobiles very few people switch banks unless the service is so atrocious that people are just forced to quit and go exactly like you said even if there are banks offering 6% savings rate you might still want to stick with your 4% in the existing bank because of the hassles of switching your bank account because these banks say that hey don't worry we'll send somebody at your place and it will be done within a week's time but you've got your loan accounts and emis etc attached to it so there is you're right that there is that stickiness one thing which interesting probably to add to this is that you know there's only one company in this or rather it's not a company the only one entity in this which is a government entity which is applied for the yes. banking license which is very interesting and that is india post now you have about 27 public sector banks why would you need another one from the government and the government has already announced the women's bank as well why would an india post also want to become a bank now from the government's point of view from a budget point of view also india post running a bank probably will reduce its deficits that is from the government's point of view but looking at india post the only entity and this is a crucial one because simply because the government's idea is to have more inclusion in banking and get more and more un- unbanked people into the organized banking sector india post is the only entity which has got 155000 branches which is covers practically the nook and corner of the country and india post is already experienced in savings and uh, mutual fund distributing some of the financial products and all that but one of the things which it completely lacks is managing the risk of credit it has no experience in giving credit and that is the crux of banking that's the key of banking but if you actually set up a new company which is what they plan is set up a new company called post bank of india and have a very dynamic board a professional board and a professional way of going about setting up the bank this is probably one bank which would come closest to achieving the government objective of inclusive bank more than any other bank so that is all i want to add as a government it becomes a moral responsibility to you know, go there and, and do that extra bit as compared to private sector undertakings and in your piece you, you divide all these players into four buckets and the fourth bucket happens to be just one company or one entity that is india post mm. so i think on that note it's time to wrap up uh, thanks a lot jaggi and dinesh for your time thank you very much thank you abhishek always a pleasure thank, yeah. you, thank you thank you all you listeners you can get this podcast on forbesindia.com as well as theindicast.com type in forbes india on the top right window of itunes and you can subscribe to us it's free to have someone contact you from forbes just message forbes to 51818 In some other interesting stories from this issue read about how Marico is absorbing its newly acquired firm Paras Pharmaceuticals and how potato farmers in Gujarat have found success